Hebrews chapter 1, and we will pick up, let's pick up, looking at verse 4, we won't go over, over anything that we went through last Wednesday, but let's read that verse again, being much, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And that's really what we're looking at. Christ is so much better than the angels. Last Wednesday night, we went through the introductory material, and I said I have seven reasons why Christ is so much better than the angels. Our first reason was he is God's only begotten son. And that means that God raised up Jesus for the great work of redemption. And begotten is referring to his incarnation. So we read verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When was he begotten? Well, the Bible tells us, when he was begotten, and actually tells us the day. This is a quote, by the way, of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The day is in verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. So the day is the day of the incarnation. God brought in his son, Now, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always existed as the second member of the Trinity. He always will exist as the Son of God, as the second member of the Trinity. When he entered into this world, he entered into the human race and took on a human body. And therefore, he was fully man... And fully God. He was the God-man. And after he died for our sins on the cross, he was buried, he rose again the third day. He was with his disciples for 40 days. Then he ascended to the Father. But when he rose again, he came up with a glorified human body. A glorified body. And now he is seated on the right hand of the throne of the Father in a glorified body. That's the Jesus of the Bible. And he's the only one who qualifies to be the Son of God, to to die for our sins, and to pay the penalty, to pay the cost for our sins. So... He is God's only begotten Son. That makes him better than the angels. You see, that cannot be said of the angels. You can't say of any of the angels, you're my only begotten Son. God couldn't say that. And none of the angels could die for us. It was only God's Son that could carry out the will of the Father. Secondly, he is the Son of David. Verse 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. This is a quote in the second half of that verse. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. That's a quote from Second Samuel 
chapter 7 and verse 14. That's saying that Jesus is going to be born into the line or the lineage of David. And he will take a scepter and have a throne. Verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Jesus Christ was born into the lineage of David, therefore is a son of David, therefore qualifies to take the kingdom, to take the scepter, to rule, and to have that throne in fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. He's in that line. The angels are not. The angels are not in that line. If you're wondering how important this is, I'm going to show you in just a minute. Very, very important. He's in that line. This sonship was also acknowledged at Jesus' baptism by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. It was acknowledged at his resurrection. He's the only one that could die for our sins and come back from the dead. And all the world will crown him as king one of these days in the millennial kingdom in his reign, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. There's only one king who deserves and has the right to stand upon Mount Zion, which is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and say and declare to be the king. And that's only the man, Christ Jesus. Muhammad has no right. Buddha has no right. No one else has the right. The United Nations... The Antichrist, he'll do it, but he will be put down. No one else has the right but King Jesus, because he's in that lineage of the son of David. Thirdly, Jesus is worshipped by angels. Number three, and let's look at verse six. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God... Worship him. So Jesus is better than the angels because the angels worship him. And that's probably a quote from Psalm 97, verse 7. And most people know that we shouldn't worship angels, but there are some who do not. But most people in America, I think we know this. And it's a good verse, though, to share with the members of cults. This verse 6. Say, if the Jehovah's Witness were to come to your door and you feel like uh, getting into it with them, you could take them to this verse and point out, say, look here, this says that when Jehovah brought the first begotten, who is Jesus Christ, into the world, that's referring to the incarnation when he became a man, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. And you could say to that cult member that God the Father tells the angels to worship God the Son. No one but God should be worshipped by the angels. And in the Bible, no one but God is worshipped by the angels. And Jehovah told the angels to worship his Son. Now what are you going to do with that? The Quran, the... The, the first holy book of the Muslims, the Quran says that angels were supposed to worship Adam. One of the great errors 
in the Quran. In Surah 7, 11. Surah means chapter. So chapter 7, verse 11. Surah 15, 28, and 29. The Quran tells the angels to worship Adam, not Jesus Christ. God the Father tells the angels to worship Jesus. Somebody says, well, your religion and the Muslim religion is the same thing. No, it's not. No, they contradict each other. So God, the Son, receives such worship from the angels. Dr. Lundgren, a professor out of Dallas Theological Seminary, says that the first begotten in this verse, when he bringeth in the first begotten into this world, can refer to Jesus having first place. Jesus being put into authority over everyone else. Because he said that David, he was the eighth son, but he was put first. And David was made to to rule over everyone else, even though he wasn't the firstborn son. And he says that Solomon was the tenth and not the first. So he says that Solomon, in that sense, was put in rule over everyone else, put in authority Uh, even though he wasn't the firstborn into the family. And so what modern-day scholarship says is that first begotten just simply refers to Jesus having first place. He's preeminent. He has authority over all. He certainly has that, but first begotten doesn't refer to that specifically. It specifically refers to his incarnation, like I said in verse 6. But he is an authority overall. The original readers who read the book of Hebrews, they regarded angels too highly, is what historians tell us. And that's why this was written. They regarded angels as being worthy of adoration. And this was true, certainly, for the first century sects within Judaism. These were little groups that broke off from Orthodox Judaism, one of which was the Essene community that lived in Qumran. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls were writings put together by a corrupt sect of Judaism. Judaism was rejected by Jesus, and then Orthodox Judaism rejected this sect called the Essenes. And in their writings, one of the things that they've learned about them the Dead Sea Scrolls, it reveals that this group had a highly developed angelology, their, their, their theology of angels, and that they regarded angels more highly than they should have. It borderlined on worship and adoration. And so that's one of the reasons why the book of Hebrews, written to Jewish people, is saying that Jesus is better than the angels. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they receive, they, they really contain no truth that is helpful to the Bible-believing Christian, except, I would say, one thing. One thing that I know of right now. But other word, in, other, in, in any wise, the Dead Sea Scrolls add nothing to us. You, just so you know that. There's one thing about it, though, that's helpful. Um, critical scholars, uh, the, the, the idea that there's mistakes in the Bible. Critical scholarship says that we do not have all the words of God. That's the scholarship of Bob Jones University, for example. Critical scholars at one time said 
that Isaiah 53 didn't belong in the Bible as inspired scripture. So they said that Isaiah 53 was actually written after the time of Jesus. And so they said that the first Christians did not believe that Jesus died on the cross as a substitutionary atonement or full payment for our sins. They said that was, that was something that was developed later. And so they say that Isaiah 53 was put into the Bible to, uh, to teach that Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So it was placed into the Bible to teach this, this uh, teaching or this notion that Jesus Christ was a, a substitutionary atonement, which the critical scholars, if you want to follow me on this, I hope you, I hope you do, because it's, 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 um, it's so pertinent. It's, 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 it's what... Roman Catholicism believes it's what critical scholarship of Protestantism believes. They say that if you believe that Jesus was God's son and that God punished his son in order to pay for man's sins, that you believe in divine child abuse. Those words are blasphemous, but that's what you will hear from a Catholic apologist who's defending the Catholic faith. When he's making fun of what you believe, that's what he'll say. And that is what critical scholarship, the scholarship behind the new Bible versions, the scholarship behind what's going on in the seminaries in this country, such as Luther Rice, Liberty, Bob Jones, Dallas Theological Seminary, so on and so forth. What they have said in the past was Isaiah 53 did not belong there. And you know what happened when the scholars... And the archaeologists found the Dead Sea Scrolls in that cave, you know, after the boy threw that rock and they heard a, a clay vessel break. And they, they got the, this scroll out of the clay vessel that contained Isaiah, the prophecies of Isaiah entire, entirely. When they were unrolling it and unrolling it and looking for Isaiah 53, they thought we are going to prove once and for all that that chapter is not in there. And do you know what happened when they got to Isaiah 53? It was there. And those scrolls date almost 300 years prior to the time of Christ. So it belongs in the Bible. We already knew that. But that's just the Lord making fools out of these critical Bible scholars. Which anything that says critical and has to do with Bible study, to me, doesn't sound right. What about you? But you see, this, this, this community that borderlined on worship of angels, they had one gift to give to modern-day Christianity, and it's their scroll of Isaiah. I, I saw it when I was in Jerusalem. It's, it's on this large display, and it's, it's, it looks like a large scroll, and it's, it's, there's a lighting behind it, and it's stretched out, and you can read it if you could read Hebrew. But pretty impressive. Now, verse 7. Verse 7, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Jesus is the commander of angels. Not only is he worshipped by them, but he commands them. It says here that he makes his angels spirits and he sends them out to minister. So he commands angels. Now God... God would not 
send an angel to do something that he's already done. Okay? We're talking about how Jesus is better than the angels. What has Jesus already done? Well, last time we opened up with the first couple of verses and we said that Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. He's the revealer of God. In other words, when God wanted to teach mankind what he was like, do you know what he did in the Old Testament? He gave mankind some words. He used Moses. Angels uh, attended to that and helped in the whole thing. He used words. And then he used, he used prophets. And prophets preached God's word. And God revealed himself with the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was just a foreshadowing of Jesus. The Old Testament is a shadow and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. So God used the tabernacle and he showed how holy he was and how he was to be worshipped and so on and so forth. So it says that God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days done something better. That's the whole point. Done something better. What did he do? He sent his son. And by saying last days and by saying that he did something better and by saying that it was actually a member of the Trinity that came to reveal who God really is, what God is really like, by saying that, you're saying that that cannot be topped. Can you top that? God himself becoming a man to tell us exactly what he's like, how to worship him, what he likes, what he doesn't like, how he loves, how he forgives, how he gets angry, how wrath, uh, how, how, how severe his wrath is. He taught us all of that. Can you top that? And if Jesus himself did that, why would he send an angel to do that? You say, when did he ever do that? Or when did anybody ever believe that he did send an angel to reveal himself? Well, it happened about uh, 600 AD, okay, with the Muslims. Now, um, if, if that's the case, if, if God would never send an angel to reveal himself, then... That means that God never sent the angel Gabriel to Muhammad. And uh, Muhammad supposedly received revelations from this 600-winged angel. And then Muhammad would have epileptic fits and he would fall down on the ground and he would foam at the mouth like a camel, they said. And, and then he would like regurgitate what the angel supposedly told him. And then they would write down, they would dictate what he said. And then afterward, he even admitted that he couldn't remember a lot of the things that the angel had said to him. The whole thing was, was kind of hokey. But he said that the angel Gabriel came and gave him the Quran. And then he said that the New Testament was, was a lie. And if you believe the New Testament, then it's off with your head. So God would not send another angel, but Muhammad said that he did. But what kind of man was Muhammad? Muhammad was a military leader who wanted to kill everyone who didn't believe what he believed about his God. I heard that recently there was the first Muslim call to prayer in the United States. Um, does anybody know what city that was? I haven't looked into it yet and done the research, but they put up a tower and they did a Muslim call to prayer. I would assume it's in 
Minnesota, but I might be wrong about that. It might be somewhere else. It's starting in America. Over in Israel and Jerusalem, uh, several times a day, they would start up with that speaker, not just in, in Jerusalem, but just everywhere we went. That speaker would, would come on and, ah, yeah, yeah, and they'd start with that business, and, and everybody stopped. That was a Muslim. They put down their rug, and they got down and prayed wherever they were. That's happening in America. Who was Muhammad? According to the Muhammadan's second most holy book, the Holy Hadith, that's uh, Bukhari. You'll hear that on television shows now. And Muslim editions. Uh, Muhammad married, according to their own book now, he married a nine-year-old girl. And he also, who was also his daughter-in-law. He shacked up with 14 wives and 11 slave girls. He, he, he taught that Satan slept in your nose at night. These are his writings. The writings explaining what he taught. He ordered all dogs to be killed. Now that's pretty messed up in and of itself. I saw a dog tied up to a trailer coming down Main Street. Uh, somebody had a pit bull mutt tied up with a leash no longer than that to the front of their trailer. In my book, that's dog abuse. Uh, that's abusive to animals. But Muhammad taught that you should just kill them all. His uh, proof that he was a prophet was a large mole on his back. That's what he told all of his followers. That was his proof. He said that Gabriel has 600 wings. He said that Adam was 90 feet tall. He said, Jews and Christians have seven intestines. Any of you have seven intestines? He admitted he couldn't remember parts of the Quran that he dictated to others. He dyed his hair red, and his head was infested with lice. He commanded Muslims to drink camel's urine, and he said that Satan pees in your ears if you fall asleep in prayer. Muhammad was a false prophet. Muhammad was a pervert. Muhammad couldn't control himself. And that's the man who gave him the Quran. And that's the religion that people say today is no different than our religion. And uh, they say, if you say that God had a son, that you should be killed. It's not the same. All right, number five. Jesus is the eternal ruler. He will reign forever and ever. Let's just read verses 8 and 9. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. There's no comparison whatsoever between the lovely Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness and the false prophet Muhammad. No contest. Jesus will rule forever and ever. So this is God the Father addressing his Son. Did you notice that in verse 8? But unto the Son he saith, who? Jehovah. Unto the Son he saith, thy throne. What did Jehovah call his Son? 
thy throne, O God. Somebody says, the Bible never said that Jesus is God. Sure it did. That's one of the strongest statements on the deity of Christ in the Bible. Not only that, but Jesus himself claimed to be God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. All right, Jesus is the eternal ruler. He is God. He's the rightful king and and heir to the throne of David. And God has anointed him for it. Number six, Jesus is the eternal creator and judge. In verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. You see, Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the judge. God doesn't change. God doesn't diminish in power or influence. That means Jesus Christ hasn't changed. He hasn't lessened in his power. But religious authorities of today, they do. The Dalai Lama, he lost popularity in the 80s. There was a time when everybody wanted to have the Dalai Lama to their shindig. Uh, And then his invitations uh, started to drop off in the 80s. Today, he's been accused of doing perverse things with children. Ditto Pope Francis. He was very popular at one time for his liberal stand and views, but now his own, many in his own church want him to, to be replaced. Jesus' deity has never lessened, and, it, and it, was not, it was not diminished when he took on humanity. When Jesus became a man, it didn't make him less of God. It made him even more glorious as a loving Savior, that God himself was willing to come and to save us and to take us on as his own. Lastly, Jesus is exalted over all creation in verses 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So Jesus Christ is exalted because none of the angels were told to sit on the right hand of God and rule. Jesus is better than the angels. But Jesus is exalted in that position and all of his enemies will be placed under his feet, including the Muslims, including communist China and Russia. They will all be moving toward God's people in the tribulation, and they will all be destroyed in a moment by the word of his power. Jesus will come back and with a word will destroy them all. Now, in the Old Testament, when Israel went into Canaan land, the Bible says, if you've been reading your, your Bible uh, passages for the daily reading, the Bible says that God sent Joshua into the land, and after that, the kings and the judges as well. He sent them to exercise all his wrath. That's what the Bible says. So when you're reading your Old Testament and you say, I can't believe that Joshua would do that. Or that the people of Israel would go in and conquer cities the way that they did. I want you to remember, 
you're not making a judgment against them. You're making a judgment against Almighty God. He says that they exercised my wrath. You've got to know you're dealing with a God who is holy, who is just, a God who's angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked in our country. Praise God we live in the church age, a time of just pure grace, free salvation, and God is just an open invitation to anyone who will come to him by faith and be forgiven. But you better believe that if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject the man that's described here, the God-man, that you will be counted as an enemy and placed under his feet. Boy, what do you think would happen if you went to a street corner in New York City and preached that? You'd find out. We're preaching to the choir right now. You'd find out what this world thinks about Jesus and about his rule. But he will sit down and rule. Now, if you like angels, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you'll really like Jesus. That's what he's saying. Some people have a strange attachment to, to angels. If you say something about them, like that they don't have wings, they get all upset. So the Bible tells us that angels don't have wings. Uh, the seraphims, they do, but not, not the angels. And people get all upset. Now listen, if you get upset about that, why don't you get upset when somebody takes the name of the Lord in vain? Why is it that you will watch a show and support a filthy industry that's constantly taking our Lord's name in vain, but you will pay money and you will, you will show up and you will be counted as a viewer and as a subscriber to support that trash. But when somebody says angels don't have wings, my Christians get all bent out of shape. It's an unnatural, an inordinate level of affection for angels. <laughs> I just wanted to make that point at the end because I've seen it. Why do we support trashy Hollywood actors in their movies that degrade Jesus, make fun of Christians, and reject the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight I, I thank you for the chance to open up the pure words of God, and I thank you, Lord, for, for a, a wonderful Savior for the supreme revelation of God. There's people all around this world who are blinded by religion, blinded by liberal scholarship and uh, unbelief everywhere. Father, I pray for many, many Muslims who are searching for the truth, who are being saved every day out of religion, being brought into a relationship with a loving Savior. And Father, I pray for more and more of them to be saved. I pray for the Catholics as well. We think of the Catholics in Brazil that the Mooberries are lovingly trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you'd give them more success. And I pray for, uh, Father, just for our own, our own county, people who are blinded by uh, the lies and the things that they see on television and, and on Facebook. And they don't know the facts. There's many people in our own county who think one way is just as good as another. 
And I pray that, Lord, that Jesus Christ would be exalted and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.